Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have all of you with us today. It's always good to worship together, and that's been especially true this morning. I loved seeing our kids up here on stage. And you know, there's something about kids and Christmas. They just kind of go together, don't they? Well, as I get started here, I just want to take a moment to say that our hearts go out to everyone who was affected by the storms and tornadoes this weekend. Uh, man, it's uh, heartbreaking to see those images coming from places like Mayfield, Kentucky. And we certainly want to be praying for all those individuals and families who are hurting right now. Uh, and we also have an opportunity to help uh, by donating new blankets. Uh, you might have gotten an email about this yesterday, uh, and some of you have uh, brought those blankets here with you this morning. Um, but wanted to let you know those are being delivered to Mayfield tomorrow, and if you didn't bring any yet, you still have a chance. Before 3 p.m. this afternoon, you can go pick up some blankets. They need to be new, and you need to drop them out at the main entrance. And thank you so much to everyone who helped with that. Well, I am excited to jump back into our Christmas series this morning, and as we do that, I want to ask you a question. It's a question I've asked before. What difference does it make if you really believe that God is with you? You know what I mean? How much does it matter if you are 100% confident that God is by your side, that He's got your back? That the creator of the universe is helping you fight your battles. We could think about it this way. Imagine that you're a kid in elementary school. And you're walking home and all of a sudden a couple of bullies show up. And they start to laugh at you, call you names, even threaten to beat you up. Now if you are that kid, how much will it matter if you know that God is on your team and he's by your side? How much would it help to know that if these bullies mess with you, they're actually messing with God himself? Well, that'll make a huge difference, right? So let's bring this back around to us. What does it mean when you know that God is truly with you in those moments when you need him most? Think about all those times when life gets difficult or really intense. You lose your job. Your marriage falls apart. Someone you love gets that diagnosis that you were hoping and praying they wouldn't get. In times like that, does it mean something if God is with you and you know that? Well, of course it does. Unfortunately, though, when we encounter those difficult moments, we often find ourselves trying to function as if God is not there. When you're at the end of your rope, there's often something inside of you, a voice that says, well, I just got to figure this out. It's on me. But what if you knew? What if you knew that God was with you? And if you only trust in him, he will ultimately set things right. This morning, I want you to know that it is possible for you and me to experience God's presence here and now. It is possible for you to know there is a God who loves you, He is for you, He wants to be with you, and He proved His love by sending His Son, Jesus, to free us from the power of sin and death. That's what this series is about. Love has come. 
That's what Christmas is about. Love has come in the form of a baby who is also God. When, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was the beginning of the greatest rescue mission in history. That baby grew up, he lived a perfect life, and then he laid his life down. He, he sacrificed his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he died to save us from eternal death in hell, where we'd be separated from God forever. This is what Christmas is about. Because of Jesus, it is possible for us to be with God. Now, this is the second week of our Christmas series. Last Sunday, we talked about the need for Christmas, and today we're going to look at the promise of Christmas. And I want to start with a promise that was made over 700 years before Jesus was born. And this promise, it came from God, but it was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And we can find this in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And here's what Isaiah said. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is a familiar verse for many of us. This is something we hear around Christmas time. It's, it's that prophecy that said Jesus would be born of a virgin and that he would have this name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This morning... We're going to do something that we normally don't do. Usually, we read this verse, and then we stop. But we're going to keep going this morning. I'm going to back up and read verse 14 again, and this time, uh, I'll read beyond that. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Okay, time out. What did we just read? Uh, verse 14 is that familiar Christmas prophecy about Jesus. But then it gets weird. What's up with those curds and honey? Uh, who are these two kings, and, and what, what is this land that's going to be deserted? Verse 14, that's about Jesus, but what about verses 15 and 16? Well, we learn in the Gospel of Matthew that verse 14 is definitely about Jesus. Uh, you might remember the story there. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant, and he's very disturbed by that because he knows he is not the father. However, an angel shows up and says, Joseph, it's okay. Mary has not been cheating on you. The baby inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's a miracle. It's the, the virgin who has conceived. And then listen to what uh, Matthew says in chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So there it is. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14. He clearly says this prophecy is about Jesus. But what about those other two verses? What about the curds and the honey and the kings? Is that about Jesus? And in the end, does it even matter? 
Well, I believe it does matter, and here's why. If we look at the context of Isaiah 7, we get a better understanding of this phrase, God with us. This passage can help us know and experience God's presence in a deeper way. So we're going to dig into Isaiah 7 this morning. Most Christmas sermons don't go there, but we're going to go there. And I'm going to tell you a story about an evil king. And at Christmas, we often hear about an evil king named Herod. But Herod doesn't make it into this story. I'm going to tell you about a guy named Ahaz. Now, if you have a Bible today, I encourage you to open up to Isaiah chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. And just so you know, I'm going to switch over to the NLT version of the Bible because there's a lot going on in this story, and the NLT is a little easier to understand. So here we go, Isaiah chapter 7, starting with verse 1. It says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. And we need to stop right there because uh, we were just hit with a lot of names. And I'm sure some of you are like, see, Doug, this is why I have a hard time reading the Bible. We're just one verse into this chapter, and I have no idea what's going on. And I get that, but there's actually a good story here. We'll start with a little background. First, who is this Ahaz character? Well, Ahaz was king of a nation called Judah. And you may not be familiar with Ahaz himself, but you're probably familiar with some people in his family tree. Ahaz was a descendant of David, the most famous king in the Old Testament. And David lived several hundred years before Ahaz. But if you skip a few generations in the other direction, you find out that Jesus was a direct descendant of Ahaz. So Ahaz is related to some of the most prominent names in the Bible. But who was this guy? Well, I sort of tipped you off earlier. Ahaz was a bad guy. In fact, he was straight up evil. Uh, We get a short description of him over in 2 Chronicles 28. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, unlike unlike David, his father. So what kind of sin did Ahaz commit? Let's keep reading. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Now this is horrific. It's hard to believe that real people sacrificed their children in the name of worship. But again, Ahaz was evil. And the truth is, here in our time, there are still evil people who do horrible things. But let's leave Ahaz for a moment. We need to meet a few more characters. In that verse I read earlier, there were two more kings. The first king is named Pekah, which kind of reminds me of Pikachu. That might help you remember his name. Pekah was the king of Israel which is separate from Judah. More on that in a minute. The second king was a guy named Rezin. 
he was the king of Syria. And I apologize, but I don't have a Pokemon to help you remember his name. So we've got three kings here. Ahaz, Pekah, and Rezin. And now we need to get the lay of the land. First, it's important to know the difference between Israel and Judah. And here's the short version. In the old days, back in the time of David, the nation of Israel was all together as one. But two generations after David, there was a great political conflict and the nation split into two. You had the kingdom of Israel up north and the kingdom of Judah down south. And by the time we get to Isaiah 7, Pekah was the king of Israel and Ahaz was the king of Judah. So what about our third king, Rezin? Well, Rezin was the king of Syria, which was right next door to Israel. And there you go, three kingdoms all connected to each other. And that's the background that sets us up for Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And in that verse, we read that Pekah and Rezin made some kind of alliance. They teamed up to attack the land of Judah. And how do you think Ahaz felt about that? Well, to be honest, he was freaking out. Uh, let's read uh, Isaiah 7, verse 2. It says, The news had come to the royal court of Judah, Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. Now, let's be honest, this reaction is understandable. When two nations right next door join forces to attack you and you don't have the military strength to fight them off, that's a scary thing. But let's remember our big question. What difference does it make if you know 100% that God is with you? Well, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? And ironically, that confidence was available to Judah. God had offered his presence and his support to Ahaz and the entire nation. And God wanted to communicate that offer in a way that Ahaz could understand. And this is where Isaiah comes in. Like I said before, Isaiah was a prophet, and a prophet's job was to communicate the message of God to the people who needed to hear it. And at this point, Isaiah was fairly new to the prophet game. In fact, this was his first major assignment. God told Isaiah to send King Ahaz a message, and the message was basically, calm down. Isaiah 7, verse 4, God says, Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Remaliah. Now, if you're Ahaz, this news is amazing because God knows the future, right? God knows this threat won't amount to anything. So we can breathe a sigh of relief. And Ahaz could have done that, but there's another important part of Isaiah's message. God told Ahaz, if you want my protection, you have to put your trust in me. Verse 9, God said, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, this is going to be a struggle for Ahaz. Remember what I said earlier? When we get to the end of our rope, there's often a voice inside that says, well, it's on me. I got to figure this out. Now, 
God was telling Ahaz, though, you don't need to tackle this problem on your own. In fact, God made Ahaz another offer. He said, I want to help you put your trust in me. So I will give you a sign to show you that I've got this covered. In verse 11, Isaiah went to Ahaz with this message from God. Isaiah said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? We'd love to get an offer like that. Kind of like, please God, show me a sign. Just make a, a magical unicorn appear right outside my window. That will help, that will help me trust you. So God promised that kind of sign. And what do you think Ahaz did? Well, look at verse 12. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Ahaz, what were you thinking? Well, I'll tell you what he was thinking. On the surface, he was trying to sound all spiritual. He, he was quoting the book of Deuteronomy here where it says, you shall not test the Lord your God. But there are two problems with that. Number one, God himself made this offer to give a sign. It's not like some human trying to manipulate God. And here's problem number two. Ahaz had a different plan all along. That's spiritual front. That was just a game. Ahaz had no intention of trusting God. More on that in a minute. But at this point in the story, something surprising happened. God decided to go ahead and give Ahaz a sign, even though he didn't ask for one. We read this in verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the land of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. So there it is, the famous prophecy. And we know this is about Jesus but it also sounds like this applies to the time of Ahaz, right? Apparently, some special child is going to be born. This child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that indicates that God will be with Judah, on the side of Judah. Before this child reaches the age of adulthood, two nations will be laid to waste. And you know who that is, right? The kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria. Pekah and Rezin are going down. Their days are numbered. God will not allow them to defeat Judah. In fact, they will be defeated by somebody else. At the same time, though, Ahaz caused all kinds of trouble for himself and for the whole nation of Judah. God said, Ahaz, you have been so afraid of these two little neighbors when all this time you should have been afraid of somebody else. So who is that? Well, look at the next verse. Then the Lord will bring things on you 
your nation and your family unlike anything since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria on you. So Assyria, where did these guys come from? They, they weren't on that map, were they? So let's go back to the map. Assyria was a major empire to the east of all those nations we've talked about so far. They were a world superpower at that time. Assyria, the, the empire, they, they were like a pit bull. And Israel, Syria, and Judah, they were like chihuahuas. And here's what's crazy. Sometime earlier, Ahaz hatched a little plan. He, he wanted to escape that attack from Israel and Syria, so here's what he did. He thought to himself, I bet I could make an alliance with the Assyrian Empire, and then they will help us fight off our neighbors. So you get that? Instead of trusting in God, Ahaz puts his trust in the Assyrians. That's where he was looking for help. And God was like, Ahaz, you're trusting in the wrong thing. And by the way, this is a huge lesson for all of us. Don't put your ultimate trust in anything that is not God. So what's your plan there? When life starts to spin out of control, where will you go? Where do you expect to find help? People look for help in all kinds of places. They look to money, to power, to science, to technology, to human relationships, to some form of escape like alcohol. Uh, people look in all kinds of places. And don't get me wrong, there's definitely a place for science and technology and relationships. But what we really need is Psalm 121. That psalm says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. That's the message here. Don't put your ultimate trust in anything other than God. But Ahaz got this totally wrong. He went to the king of Assyria and he said, please, please save us. I am willing to pay. Ahaz offered a bribe to the king. He took all the silver and gold from the temple, all the silver and gold from the royal palace, and he offered all of it to Assyria. The king of Assyria said, hey, that sounds like a good deal. We'd be glad to help you out. Thanks for all the gold. And what do you think happened after that? Well, first, Assyria played right along. Uh, over the next few years, they did destroy Israel and Syria. Uh, they carried off most of the population and, and resettled those lands with their own people. Then after that, Assyria didn't stay friendly. Not really a big surprise. As more time passed, Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, became the king of Judah. And that's when Assyria turned on them. They sent an army to destroy Judah. I'm sure Hezekiah was like, thanks a lot, Dad. But fortunately, Hezekiah put his trust in God instead of political and military alliances. And because of Hezekiah's faith, God showed up. He annihilated the Assyrian army in a miraculous way. Now, there's a lot more to this story, but we need to get back to that prophecy. After all this... 
are we really sure that Isaiah 7:14 is about Jesus? Matthew said so, but when you read this whole chapter, it's kind of hard to see it. But here's the deal. Bible prophecies often have more than one fulfillment. There will often be a short-term prophecy and also a long-term prophecy. That short-term promise directly applies to the people who originally hear it. But the ultimate fulfillment, it may not happen for centuries. And Isaiah 7.14 is one of those prophecies that has two meanings, two fulfillments. First, we have the short-term. In the time of Ahaz, uh, the big question here is, who was that child? And Bible scholars have different theories on that. Some say the child was Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz. Others say the child was one of Isaiah's sons, a boy named Mahershalal Hashbaz. And by the way, if you're looking for boy names, that's a great suggestion. But there are some questions and issues around either one of those suggestions, so other scholars say, we just don't know. We don't learn who that child was in the short-term fulfillment. I have my own thoughts on that, but for the sake of time, we'll keep moving. The most important factor here is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And in the deeper sense, Isaiah is pointing us to Jesus. And he does that not just in chapter 7, but in many other places as well. A powerful example is in Isaiah chapter 9. In that chapter, the prophet says this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. More than a hundred years after Isaiah, Judah went through some very dark days. The nation was destroyed by a new empire called Babylon, and most of the people were carried off into captivity. It was a terrible time. But Isaiah said, that darkness won't last forever. A new king is coming. And he will accomplish far more than any other king in history. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Now, this is big. This prophecy goes way beyond the people of Judah. This king, he does come from the line of David, but he sets up a very different kind of kingdom. This is Jesus, and he establishes the kingdom of God. And if you are a citizen in that kingdom, you can be 100% sure that God is with you right now. This is the promise of Christmas. Jesus made it possible for us to be citizens in that kingdom. He died so that we could live. And this is what I really hope you remember this morning. If you have given your life to Jesus, you can be confident of the promise that God is with you. But before we're done here, I have to ask a follow-up question, and it may seem a little irreverent or disrespectful, but I promise I don't mean it that way. Here's the question. If God is with you right now, in this moment, how does that change anything? 
Think about our experience. Even if God is with you, bad things still happen all the time. We saw that this weekend. Even followers of Jesus who have a sincere, genuine faith, they they still experience all kinds of suffering. So, why does it matter that God is with us? Well, I want to answer that question with a little story. It's a story about a man who wrote a Christmas carol that you may have heard before. The man's name is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He lived back in the 1800s. He was a famous American writer and poet. His most famous work was a poem called Paul Revere's Ride, but he also wrote a Christmas carol. It's called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And the first verse of that carol, it's kind of cheerful. It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So far, so good. But it's about to get dark. You see, right before Longfellow wrote this carol, he went through a very difficult time. First, his wife of 18 years died tragically in a house fire. He was devastated by that. And then about that same time, the Civil War started, and his oldest son, Charles, went into the army to fight for the North. And then just a few weeks before Christmas, Charles was severely wounded in battle. And then on Christmas Day, Longfellow sat down, and he wrote this carol. Verse 2 isn't quite so jolly. People don't normally sing this one. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The violence of the Civil War had hit close to home. And that phrase, peace on earth, it was sounding pretty hollow. Longfellow was in a bad place emotionally. And he didn't try to hide it as he wrote this song. Verse 3 says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. How's that for a Christmas carol? (laughs) It's pretty festive, isn't it? Actually, I really appreciate Longfellow's honesty. He's hurting. He's having a hard time finding the joy in Christmas. But there's one more verse And this is what I really wanted to share with you. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. You see it? Longfellow goes back to that promise of God with us. God is not dead. He's not asleep. He's here. He's walking right beside me, and I can put my trust in Him. I can be confident that a time is coming when He will set things right. This is what it means to know that God is with you. When God is with you, you not only have the comfort of His presence, you also have the hope of His promises. You know, the first coming of Jesus was the fulfillment of a promise. God with us. God showed up at Christmas. 
but one day there will be a second coming of Jesus. And the promise of the second coming is us with God. The first time, he came to us. But next time, if we belong to Jesus, we will go to him. That's when all the prophecies will be fulfilled. We see this in Revelation 21, where the Apostle John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. It's a promise that's available to every one of us because of Jesus. Love has come. Let's pray. Father, we look to you right now. You are where our help comes from. Lord, there is pain in this room. There is pain across this world. Lord, you have a plan to remove that pain if we will trust in you, accept what you offer through Jesus. So I pray that we will do that today. Experience your presence right here and right now and look forward to that day where we will be in your presence for all eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.